Well, let me just tell you right now, Tina Turner's not going to come up here and sing What's Love Got to Do With It? <clears throat> but I was trying to find a catchy title, and that's what I came up with. <clears throat> Friday evening we had our teen night. I would just like to thank everybody that uh, contributed money, uh, brought food, uh, participated in the games, uh, playing the games, and did all the work that they did uh, to make that happen. Uh, thank you everybody for showing up. Uh, we had a pretty good crowd. Uh, 33 were here, I think uh, was the count that somebody gave me. And so uh, it was a good day. I think everybody had a good time, and so hopefully we'll be able to do it again. But I got a lot of pizza money, so hopefully next year I might not even have to ask uh, for money, depending on how big the crowd's going to be. But thank you. Last Sunday we started to look at the words that Jesus said when He said that He came to give life and that we might have it more abundantly. The life that God wants us to have, the life that Jesus wants us to have, isn't just your simple everyday life. He wants us to understand that there's more to life than just existing. That He wants us here to enjoy what we have. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be absent of problems or storms, but He tells us what we need to know and helps us that if we will develop those things, that when those storms arise in our lives that we can overcome them and we can make it through without much troubles. We looked at two passages of Scripture last Sunday. The first was, uh, well, both of them tell us that if we have those character traits in our lives, in our daily walks, then we will be successful at living the Christian life. We too will experience the good and the abundant life if we have those characteristics in our lives that are found in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, where he tells us there that we need to have faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. That word charity is love. So he tells us that we need to have those things in our lives and those things are important and it's not just something that we have today and do a little bit tomorrow. Those are the things that we need to have every day in our lives. And many times we're not what we're supposed to be. I mentioned last Sunday that sometimes our conversion took place years ago, but we never really were converted. We didn't make the changes that were necessary in our lives to be the Christian that God wants us to be. And so we've never been able to obtain that success or that joy in knowing that we are faithful to God and having that peace that passeth all understanding. The other passage of Scripture that we looked at was Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And in that passage of Scripture, Paul writes about this fruit of the Spirit. And he tells us that we're not to be like the world. Don't do the things of the world. Don't do the, the works of the flesh. Don't have those things in your life. Because if you have those things in your life, then you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to have heaven as your home. And so he goes on and he tells us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, godliness, or goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those are the things that we need to have in our lives. And I ask each one of us, do we get up every morning thinking about those things? Do we get up every morning intending to live those things in our lives? You see, sometimes we're miserable in our own lives, in our own existence of living the Christian life, because we know that we're not what we're supposed to be. And so it's easy to look at someone else and say, Ah, oh, it's their fault. I'm not what I am because of them. You're not what you are because of you. God has given us what we need. He's empowered us to do the things that He asks us to do. 
And so it's because of me that I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I can't blame it on somebody else. I can add those Christian graces. I can have the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't ask me to do something that's impossible. He asked me to do something that is possible. And He will help me to do those things. And so if I walk in the light as He is in the light, I have God dwelling in me. I have Jesus dwelling in me. And the Scripture even says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. I want us to look at another passage of Scripture this morning. And in both of those that we looked at last week, it mentions the word love. And so, that's kind of where I got the idea. What's love got to do with it? Well, the answer really is, it has everything to do with it. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Because I want us to look at another Scripture, that Scripture this morning, and become familiar with that. And it's nothing that we haven't read before, that you haven't studied before, but sometimes we need to have our memories refreshed. We need to be reminded of those Christian graces that Peter talked about. We need to be reminded of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 5. Listen to what John tells us beginning in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. <clears throat> He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that we who love God love his brother also. What's love got to do with it? Love has a lot to do with it. You see, God is love, and God sent His Son to die on the cross for you and me, and He demonstrated His love by sending Him to do that. He lived a life of an example for us to follow in His footsteps. And then we see that He died on the cross so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. What did you do to deserve that gift? I would have to answer, I didn't do anything to deserve that gift. And sometimes we look out there in the, in, the, in the world and we can see people that don't believe in God. They don't believe that He exists. 
They don't have anything good to say about Him, even if they believe that He may exist. But yet God loved them too. And He sent His Son to die for them. Just like He sent His Son to die for you and me. And so He demonstrated His love for us. And because He loved us, and because we can have the forgiveness of sin, because we can have that relationship with God, because we have that promise of a home in heaven, that should cause us to want to love other people. Because God loved us and we want to be what God wants us to be. I want us to see what we can learn about finding the abundant life through loving others. I'm sure that if I was to ask all of us the question of what is love, I would find many different answers. A lot of people believe that love is a feeling, a sensation that you have. And you fall in love. And you talk about making love. And you, and you do all kinds of things. Uh, lost love. And we have, a, you know, that word love is something that we kind of just throw it around. It's not really that important, but it is important. Because we say things like, I love my dog. I love my car. I love my truck. I love my country. And of course, everybody loves mom. We all love something. And so we just throw that word around. The question is, do we really understand what the word means? You see, the Bible has a lot to say about love and loving. The Bible shows us that God has unconditional and relentless love for us. We can go back in the Old Testament and we can see the love that God had for His people and how that when they sinned, He always wanted them to come back. And He, he, he pleaded with them and sent prophets and He sent messengers out to tell them what they needed to do in order to come back. Many of us, when we read those stories, we wonder how could God still consider them His people and still love them with the way that they treated Him. But He did. You see, and His love is demonstrated to us in His willingness to forgive us, in His presence in our life. It's demonstrated in our eternal salvation that He's promised to us. So it is all about love. You see, God loves us. And He expects us to respond by loving Him. And as a result of our loving Him and He loving us, we should demonstrate our love to one another. You see, love is a foundation for everything that's good. It's the motive for the way that we live. In the King James Version, it talks about charity. That word is love in most other translations. But the word that is talked about for love in the New Testament in most cases is a special kind of love which is agape love. And this isn't just a feeling or a sensation But agape love is the kind of love that people have when they want to get their hands dirty. In other words, they want to get involved. It means that you're there when someone's hurting. It means you're there to help feed those that are hungry. Agape love means that you tend to the sick. You visit the lonely. You comfort those that are sorrowful. You help those that are untouchable. 
And you put up with those who are insufferable. Jesus came bringing that kind of love. Agape love. Agape is a love of the will. And I'm going to love you in spite of what you do. Agape is a decision that we get up and we make every day. Of whether we're going to love someone or not. And I'm not talking about a spouse. I'm talking about people we may not even know. Agape seeks nothing in return. Agape love regardless of the behavior of the recipient still loves. Agape is the power to move us toward another person with no expectations in what they're going to do for us. See, a lot of times we'll do something for someone if they can do something for us. When we have an opportunity to help someone out there on the street, we expect them to do something good for us. Even if it's as simple as, they should make me feel good because I helped them. Agape love is unconditional. It's not self-centered. Look what I did. But it's others-centered. Agape is divine love. The love that God has for us. Third, the Bible commands us to have agape love. Someone was asked what they thought love was, and they said love is a feeling that you feel. It's what you feel. It's a feeling that you've never felt before. Brethren, that's not agape love. Agape love that we're commanded to have is not a feeling. Feeling may be involved, but that's not the definition. A feeling is something that just happens to us. Brought on by circumstances beyond our control. But agape love is not a feeling, it is a command. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that she... Agape love, love is what it says in the verse, but if you look at the Greek, it's agape. You agape one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So we see Jesus who demonstrated His love in the various ways as He walked in His daily life. He demonstrated that love to His disciples. He demonstrated that love to people that He would pass by on the street. We see that when people were sick, there were times that He touched those that were untouchable. He had compassion on people because of their situation. Even those that did not listen to what He told them, we see His love and compassion that He had on those individuals like the rich young ruler. In John chapter 15, and verse 12, <clears throat> this is my commandment. That ye agape one another as I have loved you. Again, it's that same Greek word. John chapter 13 and verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have agape love one to another. So, in other words, 
People should be able to look at us and see the love that we have for people and realize that we are a child of God. Fourth point, how do we know if we have agape love for one another? Is it because of a feeling that we have for one another? No. Agape is not a feeling. Love is doing. Love is about what we do for others. If you look it up, it's a verb. In some instances, it can be a noun, but in the majority of the cases in the New Testament, it is a verb. In other words, it's action. Jesus told the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5 that they had left their first love. And what did they do to get what did they need to do in order to get back? Well, in verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. You see, love is a behavior. Think about what it told us there in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter that was read for us by Everett. Beginning in verse 4, it says it's long-suffering or patient. You know, sometimes when we're patient with people, it's not a real good feeling. But we're patient because we love them. We're kind. Not always easy to be kind, especially when people are saying things and doing things that hurt. Love does not envy. We don't look at someone else and say, oh, well, you are so blessed and I'm not. And we get upset about it. We look at somebody else and realize that they're an individual. And God sends the sun and the rain on the just and on the unjust. Some deserve it, some don't even deserve it, but yet He still is good to them. And so that's what He expects you and I to be. We don't boast. Brag about what we've done. We're not proud. We're not rude. We're not self-seeking. We're not easily angered. This is one that I like. Love thinketh no evil. You ever looked at someone and said, I know their motive. I know why they're thinking that. I'm going after them for that. You go talk to them, you find out that had nothing to what you were thinking was wrong. You see, when you love people, you don't do that. You don't tie a motive into their mind Because your mind's evil. Love thinketh no evil. You're always going to put the best on it as opposed to thinking the worst about it. Love never delights in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And it never fails. You ever had somebody that was a friend that had those qualities about them? You ever been in trouble and you had a friend like that? Who'd you want to call? Did you want to call the person that is opposite of all of those things? Or do you want to call the person that has all of those good qualities of love in their life? 
Better question is, what kind of person are you? Do you have those qualities? Or do you have the opposite? And how many of those individual traits that you read there, how many of them do you have to have as an opposite before you're a miserable person? An unhappy person? A person that no one wants to be around? You see, when we're what God wants us to be, it's easy to be those things. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, when you have the Christian grace, it's easy to live that life. And I want you to notice something else. Perhaps maybe you've never noticed it before. But drop down to chapter 14. If you still have your finger there from our Scripture reading, but look, drop down to chapter 14. And what are the first few words in chapter 14? Follow after charity. And in some versions, it says, pursue love. I think that's kind of interesting. You see, this command is not vague. We are called to love, and the love that Jesus commands is a behavior. It's not a feeling. It's a behavior. How many of us are following after it? Chasing it? Trying to catch it? Trying to make that part of our lives? How many of us are pursuing it? Because we see the importance of having it in our lives and being what God wants us to be. It's a behavior. And it's something that God's commanded us to do. Agape love also is a gift from God that automatically results in evangelism. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. The hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The love of God. The desire to have agape love. The ability to have agape love. This special agape love is a gift from God. Something that He gives. And when you think about it, when you first obeyed the Gospel, remember that joy that you had? That you had done something that was right and you corrected all the wrongs in your life? And what, what did you want to do? You wanted to tell somebody else about it. You wanted to share that news with somebody else. And I see that a lot of times with people that come out of the world. People that are in the world, when they come out of that world, they realize, hey, there's, this is much better. And I've got to tell everybody about it. That God loved me. He cared about me enough to send His Son to die on a cross so that I can have the forgiveness of sin. And I want you to hear about that too. Do you have that desire still? You see, this gift comes with an obligation. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. 
So God has given us all that we need. He doesn't want us to be afraid to take this message out to the world. He doesn't want us to be afraid to let someone see it in our lives. He wants us to realize that He's given us His love. He's demonstrated it so the whole world can see it. And He wants you and I to have the kind of love that He has so that the whole world can see that. And He's given us the power and a sound mind to do that with. You see, God has given us, given every one of us the ability to love. And He commands us to use that gift. You know, <clears throat> some time ago, I had a magnet in one of my toolboxes and I had a screwdriver in that, that got up against the magnet. Well, I'm sure that some of you know what would happen if uh, that happened. That when I got the screwdriver out, I didn't even pay attention to it being next to the magnet. But guess what happened? When I put a screw on the end of that screw and started screwed in, I could let go of the screw and it would stick to it because that screwdriver had become magnetized. And that will happen if you take a magnet and you put it on some steel, it can become magnetized. That's kind of the way God expects us to work. That when we are close to Him, He kind of influences us. He rubs off on us. And we become like Him. And have you ever seen a magnet? I'm sure you've done it. Kids do it. I do it. I still do it. But it's just fun to do you got paper clips or something, maybe screws. The other day, uh, <clears throat> I dropped a box of, spilled a box of uh, screws on the ground. I took a magnet out and just run it over the ground. I didn't even have to drag it on the ground, just hold it up above it, and you could hear it click, 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 click. All those screws coming up. They were being drawn to that magnet. You see, when we're close to God, and we go out into the world, if we're close to God and He has an influence on us and He's influenced us to the point where we're like Him, we draw people to us. Now, there's some you will repel because there are some people who just rather love evilness than goodness. But just like that magnet going over the ground and hearing those, those screws click, 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 attaching themselves, when we're what God wants us to be, we have a greater chance of drawing people to Christ. Think about the day of Pentecost when about 3,000 souls were saved. Have you ever thought what it was going to cost them, those that obeyed the Gospel on that day, rejecting Judaism, turning away from the Jewish system that they had at that time? They would be outcast. They would be cast out from their families. Rejected. But yet they did it. And then later on we see that persecution came, but yet still people would obey the Gospel. Why would you want to obey the Gospel if you could be thrown into prison, persecuted, even put to death? Why would you still want to become a Christian? Why? Because those that had what they were supposed to have as a Christian were drawing people to them. And they taught them the Gospel. And then they could go out and teach someone else. 
The love of Jesus passes through us to others. We need to be drawing people. And that's evangelism at work. Agape is evangelism. Our drawing others to Christ. And without agape, without agape love, there is no genuine evangelism. You see, agape evangelism must be with a proper motive and it must be authentic, sincere. If you go out and you start to study with someone and they can tell that you don't care about their soul, you're not going to most likely convert them. They want to know that you care about them. They want to know that you're sincere. That you really believe what this book says, that the Bible says. And a lot of times we don't really believe what the Bible says. We say we do, but our actions say something else. You see, if our motive isn't proper and we're not authentic, then it's not agape love. Now listen to what the Scripture talks about or says about motive. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. In other words, when we talk about loving someone, when we care about someone, it needs to be sincere. It shouldn't be, ah, let's see what they're going to do for me. Oh, I love them now. Well, oh, they owe me something. It has to be sincere. You care about them. You love them. You care about their soul. You want to help them. First John chapter three, verses seventeen and eighteen. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, what's he saying? Don't just talk about it. Don't just say, Oh, I love you. I've seen people that say, Oh, I love that brother over there. Go talk to him and you know, hug him and shake their hand and say all kinds of good things to their face, and then turn right around and go over and stab them in the back when they're talking to somebody else. That's not sincere. Love. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. In other words, all these passages of Scripture are showing us that we need to be sincere. We need to be honest in our dealings with other people. Because we love them and we're concerned about their soul. Genuine agape love always has a pure motive. A right motive. So, what will help us to practice agape love? Four quick points. We must reflect on God's love for us. We must let people see that in our lives. Listen to two passages of Scripture put together. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Chapter 4 verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Jesus demonstrated His love by being willing to give His life on the cross for you and me. What are we willing to give? In fact, I believe this passage is showing us that we need to be willing to lay down our lives. And we see that with people dealing with Paul, that they put their necks out on the line. They risk themselves. 
in order to protect him, that's because they loved him. They had this agape love for Paul. You look around this room. Would you put your life on the line to protect people in this room that are Christians? Well, if I liked them, I would. What if you don't like them? This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. And since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. <clears throat> and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one die for all, then we were all dead. In other words, the love of God compelled them to do what they were doing for the cause of Christ. How many of us are compelled to do what a Christian is supposed to do? Because we love God. We also need to pray. We need to pray for greater love. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. The Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. How many of us pray for greater love? How many of us pray for one another? And when was the last time in your prayers you mentioned everyone here by name? That you physically could picture in your mind as you are talking to God, asking Him to encourage or to help or to make someone stronger or to help them to be more faithful. How many times have you mentioned someone's name? How many times have you prayed for someone that you may not even know their name? But you know you saw them on the street. Or you know you know what their circumstances are because you work with someone who's told you about it. When's the last time you prayed that you would have greater love to help them? You see, our text says that God is love. And so, if we're filled with love, we are filled with God. If love lives in us, then God lives in us. And here's the sad reality. If we don't love, then we don't have God in our lives. And it doesn't matter how much we may say He's part of our lives and I, I love Him. But if I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ, then the love of God is not in me. Here's a sobering thought. Are we asking God to help us have a greater love for others? And when I say others, I'm talking about all others. Or are we trying to justify the way we feel towards some and try to justify the anger or the hatred that we have in our heart toward that individual? 
You see, we must not be afraid to take risk. And that's really the third point. You see, to listen, we need to listen to the fact that to love others, to have that agape love that we have, we must be willing to be wounded. In other words, we make ourselves vulnerable. Because you see, when you love people and you care for them and you do things for them, sometimes they do things that hurt you. And knowing that ahead of time, you must be willing to take that risk. Because you think about the people that you love and you care about, they know things about you. And that makes you vulnerable. And brethren, when we're talking to other people and we're talking about our difficulties, the problems that we face in our lives, the temptations that we have, the things that we've had to overcome, that makes us vulnerable. But isn't that what it's talking about when it's talking about confessing our faults one to another? Praying for one for another? We make ourselves vulnerable. We're at risk. And sometimes we can become wounded. And here's the question. Are we conforming to the ways of the world or to the love that Jesus wants us to have? Let's not lie to ourselves or deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something that we're not. We need to be honest. Loving others, all others, means that we take risk. Say, well, I love everybody here because they're all my friends. But you know what Jesus said? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You still love people even when they're enemies. You pray for them. You bless them. You do good to them. Why? Because that's what God did to us. And that's what He's done for all of mankind. Fourth point, living in agape love means that we must practice it every day. And sometimes it takes practice every day to make it happen. You see, sometimes we think that we must do something great for the Lord. You know, we've got to be some superstar. If there was something great that we would, could do, we would do it. But it's really not those big, grand things that we could do that really matter so much. It's those daily, moment-to-moment -moment times that really count. When we take a moment to help somebody, when we take a time to share our difficulties that we're facing or that we deal with to help someone else deal with theirs, 
It's that little moment that we help the sick by visiting or sending a card or giving them a phone call. It's that little moment that we spend in touching someone that is untouchable because maybe they're not very clean. Well, they may have a sickness. It's those little moments that really matter. Not the big grand things. Hugging the hurting, feeding the hungry, tending to the sick, visiting the lonely, comforting the sorrowful, touching the untouchables. All of those things that we see Jesus do. He wants you and I to do those things. See, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 14 that all things be done with charity. Agape. That's the word that's used there. Agape. Which is what we read about in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter. Let everything that you do be because you love someone. Because you love God. And you want to be more like Him. So this morning's invitation and challenge is that as a Christian, that we go out and we live what God wants us to live. We be what God wants us to be. That we can have that abundant life and that we realize that it's possible for each and every one of us here to have that life and to have it more abundantly. That good life that the world is absent of. Jesus tells it, or John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us not love or let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Ask yourself, is there someone that you don't love? Be honest with yourself. You may not have full blown hatred in your heart toward this individual or group of individuals. But if you have a speck of hatred in your heart, but if you wouldn't walk across the street to help them, then you need to change your life. Especially if you're a Christian. Because we want to be what God wants us to be. So what does love have to do with it? Everything. So this morning, God loved you. Do you love Him enough to be faithful to Him? You need to respond to the invitation. You have this opportunity at this time. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row as we stand and as we sing.